KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. We have hit day 100 of Joe Biden's presidency, and it has become part of the political fabric of this nation to examine a presidency after 100 days. But why? Where did this idea come from? And as long as we're here, what have we learned 100 days into the presidency of Joe Biden? To talk about this, we reached out to Ben Berger. He is an associate professor of political science at Swarthmore College, also executive director of the Lang Center for Civic and Social Responsibility. Great conversation. Give a listen. So the idea of 100 days into an administration being a benchmark, this is something that's frankly just kind of made up this isn't in the constitution or anything where they say (laughs) this is when you have to take stock and when does it what's the origin of it is it fdr because that's what i kind of just kind of figured it is it's franklin delano roosevelt fdr he invokes it and he doesn't say you've got to look at it every year he just says i'm looking at it this year in in july after his uh first hundred days uh, he says it's been a month since then. He's giving a radio address and says, let's take a look back. You're going to see a lot of good stuff happen because it was good for him. And it turned out that you know, he liked the measure because it was good for him. And it's just stuck around ever since. And the media has used it as some kind of a measure to judge presidents since then. I mean, David Axelrod, who was a senior advisor to President Obama, once called the first 100 days a hallmark holiday in the sense that it's like a holiday that's just around for commercial purposes. Uh, and in this case, it wouldn't be a greeting card company that was benefiting. It would be journalists, really, who benefit. Not so much politicians, but I think journalists because they get a lot of good stories out of it. Uh, so it's hard to say anything about the first 100 days that doesn't always get said in the first two points made by any commentator. Because everybody says that, number one, it's arbitrary and kind of silly. And everybody says, nonetheless, it kind of matters. It kind of matters because it can shape public opinion, at least in the short term. And public opinion matters for a presidency. Yeah, to that point, uh, my next question was going to be like, are we kind of doing a disservice with this or is it a good window? Not that you can take stock of what the president's accomplished, but just into the direction that he wants to go. Well, even the presidents themselves take it seriously. Donald Trump called it a, a ridiculous standard, but then he tried very hard both to get things done and certainly to tout what he had gotten done. And all presidents do that. So it's arbitrary in the sense that it happens to be 100 days, not what what if you did good things in 150 days, or what if your 80 days were good, but then right after it, something bad happened. That's the sort of silly part. But the basic idea of saying at, at certain points in time, let's take a look at what's happened and give some sort of evaluation. Well, that's a fine idea. It's just really the concept of it happening at this particular point in time, uh, because it seals the deal for some person, some people who had bad things happen, you know, right towards the end of that period. You know, um, that's all. But um, but, you know, people who are not going to have good presidencies, having a good first hundred days isn't going to matter at all. And likewise, somebody who's going who winds up having a great presidency, none, none of them were ever ruined by a bad first hundred days. You had, gosh, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, who has the Bay of Pigs during his first 100 days, which is a disaster, a fiasco, and not long afterwards than the Cuban Missile Crisis, but he recovers from that. Now, he doesn't live out his term, but he's thought of fairly well then and certainly well afterwards. If you really wanted to go back, way back before FDR, you could look at Abraham Lincoln, and he had 11 states to cede during his first 100 days, but he looked back you know, pretty, pretty fondly on that. 
So as to whether it winds up giving a good overall picture, that's really questionable, but it keeps us honest. It keeps us focused. And that seems like it's a, it's a fine thing. So all that being said, how does what we've seen from the first 100 days, just as far as action, are we in line with what we've seen the last few presidencies as far as legislation proposed, legislation passed, uh, executive orders, which is how we're more and more being governed these days. Yeah. Are we in line to, you know, recent the recent start of administrations? Well, yes and no. Yes, uh, we're in line in the sense that some things have been around where they've been. Some things have been lower. On average, it may be sort of in line. But this just underscores the arbitrariness of which standards you happen to use in evaluating somebody's first 100 days. In terms of the legislative acts that he has signed, well, that's lower. It's significantly lower. Donald Trump signed more than three times as many legislative acts. On the other hand, uh, executive orders, Biden has been the highest. He's been the highest in, for many presidents. So that's one difference of which thing are you going to look at. And then there's also the question of, well, do you look at the number of legislative acts or do you look at the impact? the likely impact that it's going to have. Because, of course, one of the things that Biden signed is the $1.9 trillion you know, COVID relief act, and that's gigantic. It's dollar for dollar, which is to say inflation adjusted. It's the biggest of anything signed in any president's first 100 days, including FDR, who was in play during the New Deal. So it really depends in that particular regard of what, what the metric is. I think he has also been somewhat more... Um, He's been somewhat more subtle about the way he has tried to tout what he has done. He's been confident. He's asserted good things, but he hasn't been as out there as Donald Trump, for example, in touting what he's accomplished. And so he's been a, by keeping things somewhat realistic, even by keeping a realistic target for the number of shots of COVID shots that would be administered. Some journalists gave him a hard time and said, oh, first you're going to say 100 million shots for 100 days. Well, that's way too little. And he reacted a little bit snappily to that, but he wound up getting 200 million. That's that's you know in line with what we were led to expect over the last couple of months. But he wound up hitting his target, and that can matter also if you can make good on what you say you're going to make good. So I think what we've seen that's similar to other folks is he's gotten a bunch of things done, but in different ways. Not as much in legislative acts, more in executive orders, and of the legislation he's passed, it's been very consequential. One of the things about Joe Biden is I think if scientists were building their idea of a political centrist in a laboratory, a lot of people would say it would be Joe Biden. But if the first hundred days through the, the COVID relief package he got passed and, you know, the legislation proposed about families, infrastructure and all, this is pretty progressive stuff. This is stuff a lot of people, you know, on the left are have been really excited about really touted for years and it's interesting that he's kind of the vessel the centrist is the vessel trying to get a lot of this progressive legislation passed yeah that's right now the counterfactual could be if we had let's say we had a, a democratic president who was very progressive that person might well have also accomplished these things because that person would have both houses of Congress, even though it's a very, very slim majority, you know, in, in the, the slimmest possible in the Senate. So that's on the one hand. It's also quite possible that person wouldn't have won the presidency in the first place. So maybe what you're sort of getting at, and I think is right, he's been a little bit of a stealth progressive in this regard. He was bashed by some Democrats as not likely to be progressive enough. 
And there were progressives who said our progressive wing should be the one that's really in charge. And he's way too much of a centrist, which is to say almost conservative, judged by some progressives. And yet he has accomplished things, including the, the, um, the COVID relief that many others wouldn't have been able to do. But he's also stealth because of the language that he's using. He's been relatable and he's used centrist language. He's talked about unity, and that's one thing that could make him a centrist. Although, of course, you know, as we both saw last night, uh, there have been Republicans who have graded him very harshly for his first 100 days because they say, well, you've talked about unity, but you've still tried to push forward all the points in your agenda that you want to push forward because you've got both houses of Congress. You haven't actually tried to compromise with us. That's a little bit funny coming from them because they did no compromise themselves. Nonetheless, they're saying, look, you said you were a centrist. You said you were a unifier. So what about that? And that's right. He hasn't done that. But he also hasn't used firebrand language. He's not been accusing lots of people in the U.S. He, it was interesting that um, James Carville yesterday in an interview with Vox was talking about what he saw as a downside of some Democrats, the Democratic Party, for using what he called faculty lounge language and terminology. Now, as a faculty member, I don't think that's always right. I think a lot of faculty talk very responsibly. What he meant was liberal elite East Coast language, that Biden doesn't talk that way. And the virtue of that, said Carville at least, is that he's able to talk to and not past or over working class people around the country and people of color as well as uh, white people, because people know that he's just talking in a genuine sort of way. I thought it was interesting last night that not until the very end of his talk did he use the term white supremacy. Now, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad or whether any of us should think that it's a white supremacist country. We should talk more about it. What I'm saying is simply what he said. Right? He talked about the importance of justice. He talked about the importance of lifting up lots of people, ending uh, uh, police brutality, systemic injustice and so on. But he used that particular term white supremacy one time at the very end of a long talk in which a lot of people might have turned off the TV already, uh, certainly if they were not supporters of his. And they used the, the word racist only twice, and that was right after that. And yet, if you listen to people, the people Carville was talking about, those terms would have come up quite a lot. And what I think is significant is, again, whether one thinks that's right or not, or a good thing to do or not, he is, I think, consciously avoided trying to tick off anybody, making anybody feel blamed, making anybody feel that their history, the history of their families, the history they were taught in schools was a bad kind of history, that it had some kind of moral opprobrium. Again, think what you will about the content of that. I'm simply talking about what I think is his strategy. And it speaks to your point about him being a centrist and somewhat of a stealth centrist because he didn't make a big deal of doing that. We talk about 100 days. And one of the things I think that's fascinating specifically about Joe Biden's 100 days is we had gotten used to, we talk about the 100 days being, you know, something that's become a part of the political coverage. Something else that had been a part of the political coverage is the previous president, once he was out of office, would retreat for quite some time. You wouldn't hear anything, you know, of any kind of policy or anything like that for, you know, at least a couple of years. Donald Trump was probably not going to go that quietly. But being off of social media has changed the whole dynamic of the rapid-fire response to things that I think everyone expected you would see. 
How but much why? do you think yeah. it has helped this first hundred days for the Joe Biden administration, whether you agree or disagree, that they've been able to play offense, that yeah, they aren't I, constantly mm-hmm. uh, having to respond to tweets from Donald Trump and what he thinks, because you know how that White House press briefing would be. The first seven, eight questions would all be former President Donald Trump tweeted X, Y, Z. Does the president agree? Why doesn't the president do what former President Trump says? It's allowed them to set the set the tone and deliver their message, whether you agree or not. It's allowed them to get it out there. But you're talking about agenda setting and presidents usually get to set their own agendas. And I think you're pointing out that social media has kind of changed that, that you could have people outside the presidency by virtue of being able to call out the president, draw things in a different direction. I mean, how would you, let's say Trump were, were still on Twitter. How would you have seen that going in the first time? Just to put the question back to you, uh, so let's use that, this alternate scenario now. How do things look different with Biden's message, messaging? Oh, well, I just, let's talk about last night. There would have been a dozen tweets about Joe Biden's speech, you know, disagreeing with stuff, making fun of other stuff. And that would be the entire day today. The entire news cycle would be Donald Trump tweets about Joe Biden. And that's what the press briefing would be. If there was a gaggle, that's what it would be. The whole message of the speech would get lost in the back and forth with Donald Trump. And I just think it's huge. Like I said, whether you agree with him or not, but just from an administration to be able to set the parameters of the debate, I think is really important. Yes. And, and it, it, you're also pointing, I think, to something that's been very singular about Donald Trump. And we'll see if it turns out that candidates and actually office holders do more of this in the future, was that his relentless pace of tweeting, his ability then to control the airwaves and control the message meant that whether he was saying something positive that he wanted to accomplish or saying something accusatory to somebody else, even in the latter case, those people had to respond. And that takes up airspace. If that takes up space that you could be putting out your own agenda, and it means that the person who is not actually in control is in control or gives the illusion of that. And that's what was so powerful. It seems like it's the volume and the limitless supply because there's no, there's no lack of words out there that you could use to deploy against somebody. And there's 24 hours in a day. That's, a, that's time for a lot of tweets. So I guess the question is, if you couldn't really see any former president doing that as an ex-president. And we could have seen this last president doing it, had he been allowed to. So the question, I guess, will be, will we see future candidates, either themselves or through an apparatus that they build, uh, generate something which forces current office holders to respond as opposed to as opposed to delivering their own message? And what do you think? We talk about 100 days and, you know, it's difficult from a policy standpoint, but Donald Trump's presidency was different. Whether you liked it, whether you loathed it, it was different. It seems to me, if one thing this 100 days has done, it has restored a sense of quote-unquote normalcy to D.C. And we talk about the press briefing. There's now a press briefing every day. And it has just become become part of the sausage-making of the news cycle. It's not, you know appointment television anymore, much like it had been for every other president for the last 50 years, unless something really, really significant was happening. Uh, It it seems like we have retreated back to what everyone was used to for for Washington, D.C. and from the executive branch 
until 2016. That's right. There's two things that, it, that he's done together. One is to reassert that there is something like the possibility and, and a place for professional politicians who are there for, who build a kind of edifice around them of people who are seasoned in that particular area, who do their job and therefore do it in a professional way so as not simply to generate controversy all the time and not generate, generate stories on their own. I think that makes for a worse news cycle. Report, I've talked to some reporters who are a little unhappy whether they like Trump or not, just because there was always something to write about. So in that regard, Biden could be seen as uh, as somewhat boring or uninteresting. On the other hand, there is the apocryphal Chinese curse, apocryphal because I've never been able to find an actual attribution for it. But may you live in interesting times, right? which is that, there, you know, actually um, uh, interesting can be a bad thing. <laughs> there are times when you want to just let government fade to the background, do its job, and we will take stock every hundred days or periodically and call it out if it's not doing its job. So it's done that of, of asserting, reasserting the importance perhaps of professionalism, but it's also made this case for big government again. And we're going to see what happens with that big government. You noted before FDR, uh, and we've also talked about you and I before about LBJ, the aspiration that he is putting out there is for a big government, which sometimes get, gets bashed in US politics and certainly frequently by Republicans. He's making the case both for professionalized government and a big government. And so far, it's happened without that many ripples. So we'll see if the first 100 days, the relative calm of that helps to pave the way for him rebuilding that edifice, or whether, you know, this is just the calm before the storm. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.